You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailer and behind the scenes. And woo, do we have a weird one for you guys this week. It's the Merry Christmas episode. Matt, what did we watch? What would be Christmas without some toys? We watched 1992's Barry Levinson directed Toys starring Robin Williams. From Barry Levinson, the Academy Award-winning director of Rain Man. <laughs> and Robin Williams, the star of Dead Poets Society. How do you feel? Woozy. That's what we'll call it, the woozy helmet. An extraordinary motion picture. Toys. Do you remember the teaser trailer to this? I do not, but I, I re- was reading that the teaser trailer was almost more popular than the movie itself. It was just Robin Williams standing in a field of, I don't know, grass. And it's actually in a sound studio. It's the, at the time, I have no idea now, but at the time it was 20th Century Fox. They owned the largest studio and they put an entire field with hills in it. And it's just him being Robin Williams in front of it, introducing a film that I guess had nothing or they're doing this on purpose, you know, to get away. Cause this movie kind of feels like, an anti special effects CG movie, but at the same time it uses CG and it's an effects movie. So I was very confused on the theme of this film throughout it. I don't know about you, but that last trailer, <laughs> I've seen it, you know, fast cutting, big music. What about a different kind of trailer? I'm Robin Williams, here on the world's largest soundstage at 20th Century Fox. That's right. This entire wheat field is in one building. I'm here tonight to talk to you about an incredible movie. Toys. Toys trailer. Toys! There'll be a big lettered thing up here above me, glowing. Obviously, some incredible special effect that'll go... Toys! Toys! As you know, you know, you know, not going that way, are we, Sparky? Toys. Not the toy maker. I'll be back. Wind me. Well, it's like toys in the hood. <laughs> Studio executives and their great insights said, You got a movie about toys. When's a good time to bring it out? Rosh Hashanah? No. Christmas! <laughs> wow! Beats the hell out of Groundhog Day! <laughs> toys. It's a Barry Levinson movie. Man Who Made Rain Man. Yeah. Raymond, you like toys? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if just like because this movie is a lot <laughs> and advertising it would be a lot as well. I wonder if they were just like, well, Robin Williams is in it. So just let him do his thing and let him be the advertising for it. 
And I wonder why I wonder if that's why that teaser is that way and doesn't really give too much away about what the movie's actually about, because how do you sell a thing like this? Yeah. In the trailer, the real trailers, they mostly seem to focus on we've got Robin Williams. He's a goofy guy. We'll get him in this smoking jacket. And then they go through every character and try to explain the story that way, because I think you are correct. The plot storyline of this is all over the place so just sell the actors and hope people come to the theater yeah and i think original teaser trailer was like so talked about just you know robin williams at this time 1992 just like the height of it you know right before aladdin and everything like that like just exploding robin williams so sell it that way yeah and i don't know how many people would be looking at it like robin williams and barry levinson uh levinson getting back together after Good Morning Vietnam, which I think came out in the mid 80s, uh, 87, 88, maybe. Oh, was it a little bit closer? Yeah, to the I, think end? It, I think it was a little bit. It's a really timeless film if you go back and rewatch it, because it looks like it could have been the 70s, the 80s or the 90s, uh, honestly, because it's an anti-war film and it's about Vietnam, which was very popular to kind of scrutinize, you know, after MASH. Yeah, the 80s. Had a lot of looks at Vietnam after, you know, like, you know, because there have been some distance or whatever from it. And Vietnam comes up in this film multiple times. So Barry Levinson likes to talk about Vietnam and the, you know, evils behind it in Good Morning Vietnam and the humor behind it. I don't really know what this is trying to say about Vietnam. Yeah, this is just sort of and everybody who's never heard of this movie is like, wait, what? We're talking about war? Yeah, Toys is like this vehemently like anti-war movie because there's so much war imagery and stuff in it. So if you've never seen this movie, yeah. It is it is about toys, but it is also like a war movie. Yeah, and it's also a movie that talks about how war is changing. To me, it feels like there's some interesting side plots in this movie. You know, where you've got one guy, and I'm not going to get thick into this, but it's like you've got one guy who's like, I'm never going to get my great war like my, my dad did, you know, in World War II and stuff. You know, you got your Vietnams, you got your Koreas. And I was like, what are we doing with this? Because if this was just simply an anti-war film, we know what they would have done. This person would have been like, I'm using these toys for war. This person would have been like, no, toys are for imagination and happiness of kids. And then they would have collided. But that film, this, that film, yeah, that film doesn't exist right now for for (laughs) Barry Levinson. But this film has so many things springing away from it with subplots that it's hard to know what he's trying to say at the end of the day. I think I know, and I think you probably know, but I don't think most of the general audience had a fucking clue. Well, also too, and we'll talk about it when we get there, but like the end where it kind of sums everything up in the last 20-ish minutes of it is such like a coke-fueled like just chaos happening on screen that like it yeah it is really hard to kind of like pinpoint like oh that's what you were saying about all this because it's just crazy it's just chaos by the end everything just dissolves into madness this is only the second time i've seen this the first time i saw it i only saw it in pieces so mostly this is a fragmented movie for me until i watched it a couple days ago and really just sat here and digested it and actually left after 90 minutes of this two hour film kind of like to walk the dogs and kind of like prepare myself because I always heard the end of this film is bonkers. 
So let's take a break, digest what I just saw, and come back for the 30 minutes. And when I did, the last 30 minutes of this is an entirely different film. Yeah, it's just nuts. It's 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 a lot, and it's like exhausting when you're watching it too. Yeah. So if you don't have nostalgia love for this, anyone out there, I got fresh eyes with it. That's what I'm trying to say. I have no <laughs> nostalgia love for it, so it was just like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I'm actually I'm in the same boat as you. I I don't really have much nostalgia about it. I watched this one kind of after I started hearing that this was like kind of a weird one somewhere in like the mid you know 2010s or whatever when people were kind of talking about it again I think there was like a how did this get made episode on it as the internet listicles and stuff were kind of listing some forgotten cult movies and things like that this one started to kind of pop up so I saw it then for the first time and this too was only my second time watching it so I had seen it maybe five six years ago and then now So I don't have any nostalgia for it really either, other than 90s nostalgia, which is my delicious favorite. (laughs) Yeah, so here we go. Describing the front. It's pretty simple. Mine is anyway. How about yours? Very simple. We just got Robin Williams with the red suit and the red hat on and the clouds behind him with the cutout in the middle of his hat. It says toys with the logo with the different toys sitting in each of the letters and says Robin Williams in a Barry Levinson film. That's it. So this is this has got to be like based off like a surrealist painting, right? Yeah, I think there is there's a French artist whose name I do have pulled up on my phone here uh, because I knew it was going to come up. Oh, it closed. There's a <laughs> there's a French artist uh, that all the art in this movie is like kind of based off of this cover, the like music video thing they do in the movie, some of the sets. They're based on this painter's work. It's cloud based, I guess I would say. Like there's a lot of cloud art within it. Um, so that I think that's kind of fitting that that ends up being the cover here. Yeah. And a lot of primary colors, a lot mm-hmm. of reds, a lot of greens, a lot of oranges, yellows, basic colors in this. And I think it is what makes this movie feel dramatically 90s yes that color palette for sure is so early 90s that like for for these studio big movies that's what they all kind of look like (laughs) as soon as you see any of the imagery is like early 90s yes (laughs) so the late 80s always had the dystopian look the early 90s had this bright very primary color look and then we went back to like a dark dystopian look also you know, but that was much later with the matrixes and stuff like that. It was dystopian with gloss. That was the yeah. late night. <laughs> so th- there was this like four or five year period of the early 90s where I guess they were just going dramatically different than their Robocops, your Terminators. Well, you had Terminator 1991, but that's on its own world. Yes, that's its own island for sure. <laughs> it's just a very interesting time period. And plus, all the clothes were so huge. Yeah. Like what Robin Wright is wearing in this movie? What? There's so much room for her to move in it. Sure, she's incredibly comfortable. This movie looks can never escape the early 90s. It never will, like with its look. Absolutely. Some of the clothes and outfits, which are obviously this is a very over the top movie. This is a very visual movie. Some of the outfits and costuming are obviously insane in this movie but because it's early 1992 it's hard to tell if that's just like what they were wearing or what is being used for the movie because outfits were so insane in 1992 yeah (laughs) no kidding uh turning it over to the back here uh i'll read the little quote 
but I'm very interested to see if our descriptions are the same. I've got one that says visually one of the more extraordinary films I've seen, a delight for the eyes, a bright new world. But the quote name, I can tell it's from the New York Daily News. Roger, oh, it is Roger Ebert. The like font is so small on it and it's got the clouds behind it. I was really worried that I could not read that. <laughs> I had a little panic attack there. I'm like, that's impossible to read. Do you have like the the selections kind of like drop down, like the five yes. selection? Oh, yeah. That's smushing everything. Because mm-hmm. mine has that same quote at the very top, but it's really big. But I don't have the selections bar across it. So oh, that's, that's probably what, what smushed the quote down yep. for you. <laughs> so they're just reusing this because this was for this says goodwill for one dollar. I don't remember where I got. I could have got this at Goodwill, but my slipcase is just absolutely destroyed. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's all bent up and squashed. Uh, in fact, it doesn't even have the top of the slipcase. It's gone. So I have two holes to get this movie out of. <laughs> well, you know, it's just one of those movies that you're probably best going to find on VHS anyway. So you take what you can get. <laughs> well, I believe this has only come out on VHS and in the early 2000s DVD. I don't even know if this has another re-release. I would love to see this one get like a Blu-ray treatment, but now that it's owned by Disney, we probably never will see that. So that's unfortunate. <laughs> I don't think they put anything out to boutique shops, do they? Mm-mm. Only they touch their stuff. Only they do their stuff. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I guess it's locked in their quote unquote vault forever. Yeah, for now. Until so, until like the wave of cult fame infamy for this movie arises again and it <laughs> eventually comes out. I could see this one hitting like the 40 or 50 year mark and people looking back at it and like trying to make up that it's a good message. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I but I could see this one taking a cult turn, uh, I, maybe, maybe not yeah. quite as Germany, you know, where they like it. But I could see this one taking a little bit of a uh, finding a little bit of an audience. That's what I'm saying. Like because it's so wacky, I guarantee us someone will find a message in there where like it, they'd ask me and I'd be like, okay, sure, I don't whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoy the you know the effects of this. <laughs> <laughs> Should we read this back so we can give it a little plot or or try to here? Yeah, what's well, good luck, people. <laughs> <laughs> so we got another quote here. Toys is a perfectly wonderful movie. Robin Williams is the best. And that's from CBS this morning. And then the then the description goes on too. No one loves toys more than Leslie Zevo, Robin Williams. All day long, he designs, tests, and plays with them at, at his father's toy factory. Just like his dad, Leslie's a child at heart, devoted to bringing fun and happiness to everyone. But when his uncle, Michael Gambon, an army general, takes over Zevo Toys, Leslie's whimsical, wonderful world changes overnight. Soon the general and his commando son, LL Cool J, are building miniaturized weapons which will be controlled by an army of arcade trained youngsters and they've turned the carefree toy makers at zevo toys into regimented robots now leslie with the help of his sister and his new girlfriend must find a way to save the company and to grow without losing his playful spirit there was at the last part i tripped up because there was a cloud crossing over that one and it threw me (laughs) yeah you gotta watch these clouds (laughs) yeah Uh, what's interesting is our descriptions are dramatically different oh wow yeah mine has at the top through toys was supposed to mark barry levinson's directorial debut his celebrated career was launched instead by the popular film diner 
He finally got his wish to direct toys 12 years later after filming such classic hits as Rain Man, The Natural, Good Morning Vietnam, and Tin Men. I don't know. I can't tell what it says because there's a like the part of the box is destroyed. Is that Tin Men? <laughs> Did he do that? I don't know. I can't tell. It's T something something men. Okay. <laughs> anyway, and then enter a spectacular world of whimsy, fun, and fantasy in this acclaimed visual extravaganza directed by Barry Levinson. Uh, Robin Williams stars as Leslie Zevo, a fun-loving adult who must save his late father's toy factory from his evil uncle, a war-loving general who builds weapons disguised as toys. Aided by his sister and girlfriend, Leslie sets out to thwart his uncle and restore joy and innocence to their special world. Wow. Yeah, that is a dramatically different description. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to read along with you like I do in some of these where we both own them, but as soon as you started, I what, huh? <laughs> so this one, I knew you know, he wanted to make this film, Barry Levinson, for a really long time, but it says right here that it was supposed to be his directorial debut. So I wonder if this movie was scheduled to be made and then he had to wait a long time, finally got it made. And maybe the actor who, you know, Robin Williams was playing was supposed to be played by someone younger because Robin Wright was casted as kind of what it just seemed to be like an intern. Yeah, I I don't know, because, yeah, from anything I've read, it just seemed like this was a project that Mary Levinson just really wanted to do. And it was like kind of his dream project to do. And it was like kind of the first movie he wanted to do uh, in 1980 when he decided to become a filmmaker. And it ended up just not happening, probably because of the budget. And so we didn't really we didn't see it until 1992 when he could cast somebody like Robin Williams to get clout, you know, to get put on the poster, basically sell the movie until he had enough clout because he made movies like The Natural and Diner and Rain Man. You know, that's what got this made. Yeah, and like looking at the um the one the second writer, her name, let me find it, let me find it. It is Valerie Curtin. You know, she did some pretty interesting writing um where she's not really credited but some and then she acted in some political films, you know, you could say All the President's Men and and, and Justice for All. She wrote some of and justice for all so she's got kind of this like you know political background a little bit so writing you know when she helped write this i could see it but again i just don't quite get the full picture of what they're doing because there's just too much stuff in the way yeah this uh this is this is the fifth movie that uh valerie and barry levinson did together they did they wrote uh best friends inside moves and justice for all and unfaithfully yours and then this one so and all those were like early 80s ones for levinson so i wonder if uh they were just like writing partners early on since the script was written in 1980 it's funny because he started out with such heavy films yeah absolutely so i mean this is the second movie of his i believe we've talked about because i know we did sphere mm-hmm now, that wasn't one of his passion projects. That's where he was a hired gun to come in and direct that film. Yeah. But, you know, he also returned to it with Wag the Dog and Sleepers. You know, he's just an interesting director. He is. And he does always kind of skew to this political stuff, but also like very like people focused, you know, like it's always going through like a person's point of view of this kind of political thing or you know, an ensemble's view. It's very like human, I guess I would say like, because sometimes these political things 
are bogged down by the subject matter or whatever, but like Barry Levinson never loses focus of like the people involved in it. And again, for better or worse, cause it's not like every one of his movies was a grand slam or anything like that. He's definitely made plenty of stinkers, but they do seem always kind of people based. Yeah. Human drama. Mm-hmm. So he takes this in these like thick, very political situations. And then he like brings the human drama out of it. Yeah, absolutely. There are certain types of films that he just does well. And then there's certain films like, you know, this one where I think it's just a little confusing. I don't know. This is probably a huge question to ask because we will never know. But it's like, was this movie kind of always intended to be this? Because it is like a 12-year-old passion project for the director was it always intended to use was there any kind of studio meddling did things change when robin williams became involved did this how did the script change when it went from the 80s to the 90s I, these are things we'll probably never know because we'll never get like a definitive edition of this or anything like that but uh i'm curious how much of this was always supposed to be a part of it and how much of it changed if anything because it is just a weird movie was it always weird or did it just get weird because it got chopped up by the studio who knows that's a good question i don't know and the interviews i've heard with barry levinson this sounds a lot like the film he wanted the reason i say that is because i don't hear him making a lot of excuses now i don't know if you've heard something where possibly that could have happened but I haven't heard a lot where he's just like, you know, this was a different film than I set out to make and yada, yada, yada. I don't know. Have you heard anything? No, I like this is just one of those movies where there's not a ton of information out there. There's some you could read about sort of the fallout of the movie after you could read about like sort of the, the painter that inspired some of the look of the movie. But there isn't like a ton of information out there. And like even these interviews you're talking about, I haven't even seen them. So I don't I don't know. I really don't know too much about, you know, what went into making this movie. Yeah, I saw an interview of him a few years ago that briefly talked about this on Variety. I saw a featurette that was made during this film, which really just shows off all the cool stuff they've got in it and basically falls around Robin Williams being Robin Williams. Because if you've got him, just sell the film on him, which yeah. the entire teaser trailer does. Now, it didn't really help, you know, bring people into the box office because... The first weekend of this really killed this because people talked about it and they're like, you know, this is just a weird film. It was just too weird for 1992, I think. It really was. I don't know if it is still too weird for today. I don't know if I'm saying it's ahead of its time because I don't think it is. I just think it's a weird thing. And when audiences in 1992 were coming to just see a Robin Williams comedy because that's, you know, what they were being sold, they were probably pretty shocked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've gone back and looked at 60s experimental films, and I always kind of like have a fascinating look at it, you know, where you're like, wow, you know, I just didn't know these people were this experimental back in the day, or this free with nudity, or this free with doing weird, wacky stuff. And then, you know, I appreciated it because of, you know, more of the conservative stuff we got in certain parts of me growing up in the 90s, uh, after the, you know, madness of the 80s. So I could see... Like if we get into like a conservative film era, you know, in the 2020s and 30s or whatever we do, you know, and someone goes back and looks at this and said, like, look how experimental this is. You know, it didn't work, but look at it. And I could see that becoming like a cult falling. 
But as of right now, I mean, other than Germany and certain other countries in Europe who love this wacky stuff and this anti-war sentiment that they have in this, I could, you know, I just don't know. You know, I like I said, I had seen sort of like the listicles and heard some people talking about it as kind of a weird movie in a few years ago when I saw it for the first time. But when I watched it, that's sort of like what made me fall in love with that aspect of the movie. Like I was just like, this is so weird. This is so crazy. Look at these sets. Look at the like these shots. Why is this? It's so beautiful, but like it's so weird. <laughs> so that was definitely one of the main attractors for me. And I think, yeah, if people are seeking out like, hey, what's a weird 90s thing? I think this could find a little bit of an audience then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's pop this tape in. Now available on video and DVD. Okay, so I got a 20th Century Fox selection. I didn't even write down the films. It's just a bunch of, you know, early 90s, late 80s, 20th Century Fox films. Sort of their selections line. Mm -hmm. Get them at the, get them for retail, $9.99. <laughs> yeah, and this, this came out, this is a re-release. I want to say it's like mid to late 90s. Because, you know, all of the selections seem to be the mid to late 90s, right before DVDs came out. So they're like, okay, we're about to have all this new technology to get people to buy, but let's get the other people to buy this uh, other, you know, re-release this stuff. You know, put the tombstones back out in 1998 and all that stuff. Right. Mine is an original, but also has a, like, Fox montage thing with clips. Mine is clips from stuff, because it's not just, like, the selections line. It's just, like, buy Fox video or whatever. So it's stuff from the black and white era all the way up to, like, toys basically like from mm -hmm. fox's start to 1993 they just have a bunch of clips and then it's intercut with like some footage of like people talking about their favorite movies or their favorite moments in movies very 90s you know people on the street interview things mixed in with clips from the movies and it was like buy from your retailer today kind of things but again same deal fox clips that they probably use for everything and then what else did you have you had one i had one? i had one trailer i i also have something after the movie too but uh i, I had one trailer for the only like theatrical release that was on here um and it was once upon a forest it's an animated movie kind of similar to like a secret of nymph i've seen it i think i own it but i haven't seen it in like 25 years but i did when the trailer started i was just like oh i kind of remember this movie and uh, you know another like animals on an adventure to save another animal story i i um, remember thinking it was cute yeah and I, I wouldn't be surprised that there's some type of fantastical element to it like yep. magic or whatever i'm sure there is yeah and it looks it looks canadian to me and i i've seen a lot of canadian animations now but the way that like it's not cheap but it's certainly not disney either or you know 20th century fox or dreamworks that type of animation gloss over it there's just something a little bit discounted about it yeah, I picture like my go to like Canadian animation from the 90s would be like the Tales from the Crypt Keeper uh, series, of course. <laughs> but that's like what I think of when I think of like shipped to Canada cartoons. Well, a lot of the Canadian animation studios were just smaller. They were working on smaller stuff. They didn't have as big crews and they also didn't send everything over across seas and use the cheaps whoever was doing it at the time and that's why a lot of their animations mostly just stayed in canada that's why it's fascinating to find them on vhs yeah those are definitely ones that i would 
love to pick up because that look is such a part of my youth from from these like like the CBS kind of morning shows uh, from the early 90s that I definitely watched some of. So it's a look I like. So anytime I come across one of those, I, I definitely like to pick them up. Yeah. So feature presentation. And now our feature presentation. This movie starts out with a really long, too long Christmas children's show. I don't know what the hell this was, but I was definitely like, oh, please pick up this. This There's wait. This is like a seven minute beginning. It's too long. All to introduce a plane, which will come back later. <laughs> yeah, it's um very like operatic and i don't mean that because it's like a stage thing i just mean like how long it is the music it's yeah it's it, the Hans zimmer score that's playing in the background like it gets very like it's trying to hype you up for this movie but yeah it does go on seemingly forever i do feel like though i in the early 90s have absolutely seen a christmas show like this at some point yeah where kids were just dancing around and I don't know, like Christmas tree or pine tree suits and ornament suits. And I I just watched this and like shivered like, oh, God, going to children's theater. Poor parents. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I definitely I definitely had. I feel like it's like a rite of passage for like 80s, 90s kids to go to one of these like Christmas shows that are just like, yeah, they seemingly go on forever, like this opening. <laughs> yeah, there's like no structured story. It's just whimsical crap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just introduce a plane. But, you know, then we start to introduce the characters. Uh, we see Robin Williams, which is a 40. He's around 40, 41 when this movie was uh, being recorded. I'm assuming he's playing someone in his late 20s, maybe early 30s. Yeah, I got like the I definitely got like a 30s vibe, like sort of like I need to grow up because I'm going to take over the business. But like, I still want to be a kid type thing. So absolutely that 20s, 30s vibe for sure. Yeah. And I was kind of amazed that I could concentrate on the plot of this because of all the zaniness that was going on. So they introduced the father, which has a beanie cap with the, you know, the little helicopter thing that is connected to his pacemaker so when his pacemaker's going his little beanie keeps turning the helicopter propeller and then it has a blinking light on him and then he he dies pretty quick in this yeah the the focus isn't like heavily on that it's not just like oh my god it's a guy dealing with his father dying no it's like it, it happens and then we get into the plot of the movie so what it is is like there's brothers you you know we have robert williams's father who does who makes toys has this company he's been running it and he runs it his way and then his brother is a general a three-star general in the army and their father is a four-star general who's really old and you know his two kids split off one went incredible peace whimsical make everyone happy in the world and the other one followed in his footsteps of becoming a general and fighting in the wars so it's a very simple you know what? I don't even want to say his general uh, brother was evil at the beginning. He's just like, yeah, he's constantly belittled by his father. He's trying to impress him all the time. He's three star, his four star. So he's got to live up to that. He hasn't had a great war. Like, you know, he didn't get to do World War Two like his father did. So he's got like something to prove. And I think that makes him crazier and crazier as the movie goes on. Yeah, he turns evil. Right. Because I don't think at the beginning of this they were trying to play him as evil. They almost kind of like make him 
pathetic when he's being made fun of by the father and stuff like that. Yeah. And you have sympathy for him because he's always trying to live up to something else that he can never live up to because he's never going to get his quote unquote great war. Robin Williams father's dies. Uh, I, I did appreciate the the laughing like <laughs> the barrel of laughs in his dad's coffin which lasts the whole movie because they yeah. go back and visit him and can still hear it and they're like wow great batteries in there <laughs> <laughs> so there were some things in inside of this where i i chuckled uh they're just odd kind of dark humor it just turns into his brother is now going to run the company because he needs a there's kind of like a subplot of he needs to whip Leslie into shape or he needs a spark to make Leslie become more of an adult to run this company. I, at least that's what I got. Yeah, because eventually Leslie's going to be the one to take it over. So he's got to do some growing up in order to run the company because there's so many references early on where they're like, oh, are you disappointed that your father didn't hand it down to you? And he's like, no, I couldn't handle that responsibility. Like, that's why my uncle's here right now running the company. But yeah, then it seems like the uncle's like, well, someday this is going to be yours. So you got to grow up a little bit. I don't really like the casting of Robin Williams in this because he's too old. I mean, he's he's in his 40s. And in my mind kept for me, you know, when Steven's viewing this film, I didn't like the casting of him. I love Robin Williams. But I kept looking and I go, what do you mean he needs to grow up? He's 40 years old. You should be grown up by then. Like, you know, if you've been in this world and you've seen your dad die. But that's why I think this movie's a little confusing because you needed someone younger. Yeah, and then if you're going to have Ron Williams do a quick rewrite of the script in which he is a 40-year-old man that needs to grow up, you know? Like, play it like that. Like, all right, yes. it's your time. You got it. But they never do that. They're always like, oh, no, he's kind of waiting. He's in the wings. He will grow up eventually. But they should have just, yeah, rewrote it. Be like, he's 40. He hasn't grown up yet. Like, like if he would have failed the company. You know, right. he didn't yeah. grow up. He ran it not into the ground, but almost into the ground. And then his uncle, who is a much more like strict military man, then came in to right the ship. But he took the company in a direction that everyone who used to work for his father would hate. Like that's a type of story that, that probably more of this should have been built on, but it sounds like they just wanted to keep with the old story and just kind of like fool the audience until Robin Williams is young. We'll put him in younger clothing, bright clothing, and just have him be goofy. I just don't think it works. Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. Uh, especially too, uh, I think you briefly touched on it that like, yeah, Robin Wright is like 25 also in this movie and they're like hooking up and they're, <laughs> it's like, or 20, not even 25. What did you say she was? She's about 24, I think. Oh, 24. Okay. And yeah. He yeah. was about 41. So yeah. there's about a 17 year gap getting close to 20 and I felt it. It felt awkward. Yeah, Robin Wright has some fun in here and she gets to play a little bit, which is like cool to see because I'm so used to seeing her be so serious. Uh, so that was like fun. But like there's besides that, there's no like real chemistry there between these two. Next to none, in my opinion, it's more she's just watching Robin Williams act. Yeah, I feel like they're just riffing together. Yeah. Honestly, the southern accent was so weird to me. Like it threw me off. Like I'm like, why? Was it just supposed to be like, she's a small town girl, you know, coming up and doing, working in this crazy toy factory. 
I don't I don't know if that's like what they were going for I, with that. Like, yeah, I think there's more in the script. I you know because she's like your father personally hired me. There was something more in the script where he was like you know my son is so out there and everything. He probably needs something you know like a small town girl to anchor him and have that like hardworking mentality or, or something like that. I I just couldn't figure out why she has a southern accent, why she's so much younger, and why they really think that these two work together well. Just pick an actress you know, in her mid-30s. That would work perfect. Exactly. You're telling me, like, oh, I don't know who was in their mid-30s at that time. I would, Plenty I would, of them, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I was going to make a reference, but it probably still would have been outdated. So, <laughs> I don't know. But still, you're, you like the, the casting, or again, work it into the script the work the age difference or something into the script somehow something just don't leave it out there like drifting where it just feels awkward which it did but 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 then too is it just part of like the quirky casting because like michael gambin is the general and his son is ll cool j is it just is it is it just part of the quirky casting of this movie i don't know see that one i felt fine with because you know they never explain it they never go into it but LL Cool J was just being LL Cool J. It's not like they were giving him a different accent or he, you know, he was in goofy costumes, but they just played it out where you're like, oh, OK, you know, maybe his wife was black and then or maybe he's adopted. We don't know. And it doesn't really matter because they felt like they worked well together uh, right when they came on screen. You know, he's just like, oh, my boy does you know works in espionage. He's an expert. And then he just came on, and I honestly thought these two had great chemistry. Yeah, I agree. I I think that's a testament. I mean, Michael Gambon's obviously he's a classic actor. He's good, but like this testament, I think too to LL Cool J's charisma and performance in this movie that he sells it. He totally sells it. And yeah, you totally like them together. Yeah, General Zevo and Captain Zevo. That's basically his Patrick was. Hello, Cool J's name. But, Mm. you know, those two worked well together. And I also feel like Robin Williams and Joan Cusack worked well together. It's just Joan Cusack made Robin Williams character seem level. Yes. Which is weird because she is on a different planet. And for most of the film while I was watching it, I was like, what is going on with her? (laughs) <laughs> because I did not know the secret of her because I'd never seen this film in full. Yeah. Uh, without knowing that, spoiler, she's a robot, you're like, why the fuck is this person so insane? Like eating like pills and mayonnaise sandwiches for lunch. Is that all you're having? White bread's the worst thing you can eat. No, Jason, it's very soft and pliable. It slides down the system without disturbing anything. There's no nutrition in that sandwich. Yes, there is. Vitamin pills. Well, something's working because you always look the same age to me. And everything like that, just the way they talk and the way she like wears like the uh, dolls cutouts uh, to try on or whatever to see if they were going to work for the toys. Very weird. What a weird and amazing character. God bless Joan Cusack. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if they were trying to put her on the spectrum or something at one point because I was getting so confused. I go, what are we doing with this? Because <laughs> I was afraid they were never going to touch you know, what makes her s- so odd eating mayonnaise sandwiches 
with B vitamin pills in it. And then at one time she goes to the cafeteria guy and he's like, she's like, you know, I'm really disappointed that you've never had an applesauce sandwich. And he's like, well, then the bread would get soggy. And she goes, I don't mind. Anyway, give me my, can I have my mayonnaise sandwich? And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) What are we doing? But I mean, that would have been fine if the rest of the film would have been more more cohesive. Yeah, but in that way, because she gets to stand out and be kind of the weirdest of all the people in the movie, I do think she kind of runs away with the movie a little bit. Oh, there's definitely scenes where it's just all her. Yeah, and you can't take your eyes off her. That just kind of like highlights how good she is and LL Cool J in this film is. Yeah, they're good actors. And I and I even agree with you, too, that like Robin Williams, besides the age kind of miscasting, just doesn't feel like it needs to be Robin Williams in this movie either. You know, like the, so the rest of this cast is really like well filled out. But like Robin Williams, he's, he's not really playing Robin Williams. He's not you know, the younger person that clearly it is in the script. So it's not, it's kind of curious why they chose him to do this because he doesn't get to do his usual shtick that much. Yeah. I think it's, there's a couple reasons. One, they've worked together. Yeah. So he probably told Robin Williams about this story. Robin Williams was interested. The studio wants a bankable actor because it's a very odd, weird story. And there you have it. And I guarantee you this is for a younger Robin Williams and it just couldn't be made because Barry Levinson was doing other things. Right. He was working up the uh, ability to actually finally make this movie, working up to, you know, being trusted with the budget that it was going to be needed to use this Mm -hmm. movie. Uh, Yeah. And and that's uh, no dig on Robin Williams in general. I think he's still good in this movie. I think he gives a decent performance and I think he's funny when they like let him be funny. It just didn't need to be Robin Williams, though. Yeah, that's the biggest problem. You could have got more out of this film with a different younger male actor. Yeah, absolutely. But moving on to some like smaller actors and throughout this film that are kind of fun to see. Uh, You have Arthur Mallett which, you know, plays Owen Owens and him and Robin Williams have also been in another film around this time period. Hook. That's fun. Yeah. This is the older man that was always looking for his marbles. Yep. Yep. That's absolutely him. (laughs) And then another this one just blew my mind because he's unrecognizable, except if you know him when Jack Warden's in this film as old General Zevo just mumbling the whole time hilarious where he's like and then his son you know general zevo three-star general zevo is like oh he knows everything he's saying right i thought that was so funny and and being only the second time i watched this movie i was like am i just can i not hear my vhs or and then i was like oh wait no it's the character (laughs) yeah it's it was it was funny because they they definitely it's so strange that like Jack Warden was used in this because usually he is the bigger than life character in a in a film. Yeah, it, without without having Jack Warden yelling at someone, I was like, wait, who is this? <laughs> I'm so used to just seeing him aggravated that uh, it's I can't picture him just like in this kind of stasis he's in in this movie. Yeah, if he's not like yelling like 12 angry men, Jack Warden, I, I just don't. He's just like caked in makeup. So these two must have been friends. And he's like, of course, I want to do your film. You know, I love your films. And Jack Warden used to be known for all of his like political dramas, I believe. 
Yeah, I think he's in one of the like and Justice, Justice for All. Oh yeah, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. Justice for All. One of the ones that Barry Levinson, one of his political movies. Yeah, so yeah, they must be friends. Yeah, he probably wanted to do the comedy. He probably wanted to help him out, and he's just like, well, I mean, I got no one to play General Zevo, and he's like, yeah, cake some makeup on me. Let's hang out. Yeah, and he's and he's good. He's funny in it. I I like him in it. Yeah, I mean, later in his career, he did comedies i'm assuming if you're an older actor you've been doing heavy dramas for like 20 30 years of your life you're just like after a while i just want to do some light films i just don't want to do anything so thick yeah when when we were talking about him like yelling at people you mentioned 12 angry men and my brain immediately pictured dirty work because i'm a garbage person oh yeah Um, yeah, (laughs) that's like that's like i picture him as pops yelling at norm mcdonald the whole movie (laughs) i mean that's the kind of film you do after like 30 or 40 years of heavy dramas you're like exactly after after enough 12 angry men uh 30 years later you just want to do a dirty work (laughs) no one will remember it but us idiots (laughs) yes (laughs) Uh, and the last one i wanted to mention was uh debbie mazar who is nurse debbie who okay so she's with ll cool j but she's also slept with i think both the generals yes ew she is working her way through the family (laughs) and at one point she's in lingerie where i was i was just looking at her like who is this made for because there are some dirty jokes in this you know, there's some dark humor, there's some violence, you know, if this was, you know, an anti-war, anti-war, anti-action toys, anti-violent video games movie, then they stick in some stuff where, you know, some adults might be uncomfortable with it. We're getting into this point of the 90s where we kind of want to just like, you know, protect our kids, you know, put ratings on everything and make sure they can't play the violent video games. I, just a very confusing film of who this was made for. Yeah, this one kind of wears the PG-13 kind of badge, I guess, proudly because it it does fall like kind of right in the middle. It's not quite for kids, but it's not like an adult movie really either. So it just falls right in between. Uh, although I can't imagine many 13-year-olds even being interested in this, except for the couple times they can kind of see boobies. So, <laughs> And you don't even get to see boobies. You just yeah. see like the top of boobie. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, yeah, a teenage boy at this point in time could find something else where he could see more boobies. Uh, I mean, you and I did have just having HBO or Cinemax or whatever was around. Right. right. You got You got better choices, that's what I'm trying to say, than toys. Yeah, so what a weird kind of movie for nobody. (laughs) You've really shot yourself in the foot. Because if you're making a movie about toys, immediately you think this is going to be for kids. Mm -hmm. And then you see the PG-13 rating, and you're like, okay, maybe a little violent, but for kids. But then, like, yeah, so many adult themes are being discussed. There's a sex scene between Robin Wright and Robin Williams that you don't see, but you hear. Um, And (laughs) And you don't even see coming. (laughs) Yeah, it just, yeah, out of nowhere and like bra off and moaning sounds. But uh, yeah, like, and it's just, it's, it's weird. It's it's only, I guess, for like Barry Levinson, I feel like this is his, it's his movie and it's just whatever he likes being smushed in there, I feel like. You know, there are two more actors I should bring up. Jamie Foxx comes out of nowhere to be in this film during the moaning sex scene. Yes, he is the... Uh, 
uh, one of the operators of this toy that they're trying to spy on Robin Williams with. And then he starts hooking up with Robin Wright and they're going to have the sex scene. And uh, she throws her bra on this uh, toy that's doing the spying. And Jamie Foxx is the one controlling it and like disappointed that he can't see the action going on in there uh, in his film debut. Jamie Foxx. <laughs> yeah. And then Blake Clark is also part of the security team for General Zevo, which Blake Clark, you know, I always remember him from, you know, like, I don't know, Waterboy. Yeah, the Sandler movies. Yeah, the Sandler movies where he's got this graspily voice just yelling all the time. And I always like him in the Sandler movies. He's one of those guys that even if a terrible Sandler movie comes out, I just like to see him. Yeah, he's always funny. He's just always reliable and and he's so likable. Yeah, he's your goofy uncle at exactly. the holiday party. <laughs> exactly. He's going to tell you a dirty joke that he shouldn't, but it's like also he's coming from a lighthearted area of it, even though he shouldn't be telling you that. Yeah, and he's got that great voice and that great laugh, too. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, his gravelly voice and that laugh. It makes me happy. Yeah, it was good to see him, even though it was quite brief in the movie, yeah. but he's he's still in there working with uh, General Zevo, so good to see him yeah so the general plot of this movie is pretty easy uh general zevo gets he wants to make war toys robin williams is like we don't do that as for me lads i'll be meeting with our designers so we can begin production of our new line a new line i'm noodling with the idea of putting in some war toys you've never made war toys at zevo that's most unusual. It's well, a natural idea for you to make war toys. Well, we never really did because Dad didn't like the idea of war toys. He thought that war was the domain of the small penis. <laughs> well, is that so, Leslie? Well, I'd be really most grateful, Leslie, if you would assist me in this area. Is that all right? Sure. Dad, to war toys. War toys. And then the general goes and plays his arcade games. He looks at his G.I. Joes and he's like, we've got to make toys like this. And then that turns into let's make toys for the army so they can attack foreign lands. And I can change the way war is fought in this world. And then I will be a legend. And then you've got Robin Williams on the other side where it's just like, I better grow up or I'm going to lose this company because my uncle is insane. Yeah, and that's basically what the plot of this movie is. Robin Williams is just like, okay, how do I get it? Like, he, Robin Williams doesn't have any kind of alternate agenda here. He's just like, oh boy, this is bad. <laughs> and is basically just trying to save it. Um, but in a way, this movie, I feel like, kind of predicted, like, the rise of, like, drones. It's not the first movie to predict it or whatever, but it is a movie that definitely knew what was coming in terms of, like, the pilotless mini planes and things like that that they talk about in the movie and drones because he's training you know, arcade loving teenagers to play these war games in his arcade makeshift arcade he sets up. But really, he's just training them to use these things for warfare, to fly the planes actually at enemies and things like that. What happens if you don't need a pilot? What happens if you just have remote control planes that carry deadly weapons? You saw it back there at the store. There were toy tanks, toy planes. Can you imagine what it'd be like if we perfected a toy-sized plane that had deadly fighting capabilities? Little remote control planes. Yes! You saw those kids back there at the arcade. 
Those kids have better hand-eye coordination than any pilot you'll ever see. Little children can fly remote-controlled planes. Patrick, it's only the weaponry that's missing. Yeah, and we always have to have an older white man saying, like, they've got the thumb, what is it, the hand coordination of killers. All we have to do is put them in a game. They don't know. They think they're racking up the score, but they're really killing other soldiers. Or you have an old man saying, like, ah... They know computers so well, they're going to rule the world soon. Like, I always feel like my dad was saying this older white man, <laughs> you know, Trump <laughs> was even saying it at one point, you know, I was like, oh, my kid can hack into blah, blah, blah. It's like, you guys have no idea what you're talking about, but <laughs> you might have the money for someone else who does know what they're talking about to actually make these warplanes, which is kind of exactly what he did. So then we converge on this where the groups got to get together and the group is, you know, Robin Wright, Robin Williams, Joan Cusack, and LL Cool J, who becomes a traitor to his father because he finds out that the death of his mother was his father's fault and that she didn't die of appendicitis. Right. Yep. So then they get together and then this is where the movie goes off the rails. <laughs> Because you've had a lot of fun visuals. You've had a lot of this anti-war sentiment and and some weird stuff. But then you get into Bonkersville. Right. You've got a whole movie where like, yeah, the sets are closing in or like they're reviewing toy puke or there's like a giant head spitting out like toy parts on an assembly line. And there's pop out houses and hills with that you have to drive over within the the place or whatever there's all these crazy visuals but nothing like really prepares you for the insanity that is like the last 20 minutes which i i can only assume is some kind of coke fueled just like balls to the wall madness chaos like (laughs) we're flying planes at each other toys are fighting each other there it's just pieces of plastic everywhere (laughs) it's nuts What's funny about this film is it feels like it's, a, you know, an anti-war film, anti-violence, video game violence, blah, 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 blah. But really, this feels like the only part of the film that every that sold to 20th Century Fox. So violence is bad, but violence is your climax. So there's something smart there that I can't quite figure out, but it's a mixed message. Yeah, it's almost as if the only way we can fight fight violence is with more violence, but violence is bad. That's like basically the message of it. The only way we can sell our anti-war, anti-violence movie is to have a ton of violence at the end. Yes, because basically Robin Williams uses the toys that have been put in storage to fight against the war toys. So it's still f- warring, warring toys. It's still war. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's nuts. But I mean, the uncle did have a point at one point in this film where it's just like, you know, we can't compete with the modern day toy companies. Correct. But then you went crazy and ruined your entire like well thought out argument. Right. (laughs) Uh, Uh, And then and then you you even mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, the whole beginning is to set up that we get to see one of the things that's going to be in action at the end. And basically the fight takes place in this city set that is used for the dance sequence at the beginning. And there's a giant plane that is flying overhead. That is like a giant toy, but it's like still a toy mm-hmm. because when Ron Williams sits in it, he's, you know, sticking out of it. It's not like a huge plane or whatever. It's a toy plane. 
Yeah, so let me just uh, rehash this entire scene. We have a bunch of cut out New York State buildings, including the Twin Towers in the background, and we've got a fly we've got a flying plane over it that crashes into the city. Just think about that, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um and it's a whole anti-war sentiment you know yes. like it's all yeah. connected yeah it's crazy and yeah robin williams just like there's a drone that comes after him and cuts the cord and then he basically uses the plane to swing into the war room where the general is conducting all this chaos or whatever and crash into it and blow up the computer that's controlling all the drones and toys and stuff like that but like yeah it's so all of this happens so quickly and there's just so much chaos there's always something exploding or going on while this is all all happening yes president bush was president at this time his son which is also a son in this movie is about war president bush 2 planned 9-11 he watched toys figured it out yep this movie inspired Oh, I'm not even going to go there. You know <laughs> not even going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I could just see me putting together all these strings and everything, and then just someone comes and kicks it over. You're an idiot. Correct. <laughs> I got a lot of things to do during COVID. <laughs> My mind's going everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it ends with just so much, so much keg powder. Just... <laughs> You know, like with all the, the firing guns in a pirate ship where there's smoke everywhere and everyone's shooting the cannons back and forth. It just felt like that, but with toys. Yeah, with just toys blowing each other up and plastic shrapnel flying everywhere. <laughs> I, I What surprised me was he was trying to kill everyone. Now, I thought maybe he was going to try to capture them and like make them, you know, work as you know, building his war toys and everything. No, he's straight up going to murder them. And I thought, too, at the end that like when the one toy blew him up, that was going to be it. But it turns out he was just now he's just in a hospital bed next to his dad. But like I thought they were going to kill him off, too. Yeah, I guess 20th Century Fox was probably like, yeah, can we not kill him? Because we just I mean, we saw the end. You got enough violence in this. Can we not just kill General Zevo? Barry Levinson's like, but I always kill someone at the end. <laughs> Just incapacitate him, put him in a hospital bed. <laughs> All right, it's a dark comedy. I get it. Yeah, that ends this film. It's bonkers. And getting to the point where, like, do we recommend this? Do we not recommend this? I think there's weirder films out there that go over the line that I would recommend more. This one is just about to get there. But we need something else, and I don't know what this is. I don't know what we need to push it over the edge. Yeah, I don't know what that missing ingredient is. Maybe a little bit more cohesive of a plot, because like we didn't even talk about, it, but like kind of almost the way the movie plays out, you know, the plot progresses. It almost feels like a series of like sketches, basically, like where you know Robin Williams. Whenever it cuts to Robin Williams, he's showing off a new thing. Like I mentioned, like the the scene where they're picking out the toy puke, and then like he's got like a jacket that smokes. He calls a smoking jacket. He also has like a jacket that makes noise every time he moves. It, but it's like, and these are all like kind of contained little scenes that are kind of talking about like Zevo's plan to do like the war stuff, but then also like about toy reviews and things like that that they're doing. So they almost play like sketches, little moments instead of just like cohesive scenes that are all connected together. They're almost like just flashes glimpses into this world. Yeah, it's like small segments of things that 
someone found interesting. They wrote it down, wrote down an idea, and then just like connected this film. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, uh, it's it's just yeah, there's not that connective tissue, but they are they're able to do a bunch of crazy shit. Then that way, you know, we get a we get an MTV music video. Oh, we didn't even talk about the other song. Tori Amos has a song in there where it's called Happy Workers or Happy People or whatever. And it's the workers at the toy factory are listening to it all day and singing along to it, apparently, which is kind of this nightmarish thing already. <laughs> and then Zevo comes in and uproots their world after that. And I'm like, ah, but were they... Really happy or were they brainwashed? What was going on with that? Well, as soon as you introduce the Tori Amos song, I think something sinister is afoot. (laughs) Exactly. It's like a dystopian (laughs) slave toy shop. I this should have been a song that was played when General Zevo took over and he was like stripping away the happiness. Right. But yet it's like supposed to be during their time when everything was great. It was it was very uncomfortable. It was very weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just like she's not who you play in the background of a happy, you know, like go lucky factory. Right. It makes it seem haunting. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's even like they slowed the song down like it was going to get even more warped. Right. Right. Yeah. As they just kept working all day long and did the same thing over and over again. And these giant heads just spit out parts at them. It was very, it was very nightmarish. (laughs) Oh, man. The prop people were having a blast. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But with all that, like, I love this movie because it's so weird. I... I think, yes, the plot has problems because it's not very cohesive. And I think there is some miscasting with Robin Williams. But I just love how fucking weird this movie is. And I uh, I cannot get enough of the visuals in this. When I saw this the first time, I was very taken by it. I like bought it immediately after I, I watched it. I just there's something about the weirdness of it and the visuals and just it's almost tonally schizophrenic nature that it's just like candy to me. I loved it. I, I I love this movie. Yeah, we definitely will have a different opinion. I will never watch this from beginning to end again uh, unless someone makes me. But fragments of this film, yes, I will watch. That MTV video is very good. Yeah, it's cool. It's weird. It's very yeah. like uh, Devo-y, it feels like. Oh, very much. <laughs> yeah, it's just inspired. And then like the end of it. I, I mean, I can watch this movie in fragments, but as a whole, you know, minute one to minute I don't know. It's this is over a two hour film, just just barely over a two hour film, but way too long. This thing needs to be 90 minutes and that is it. It could definitely be cut down. But and in terms of it being just this ultra weird epic opera kind of thing, it is war. You know that I think that's why it's, it has this kind of bloated runtime. But uh, yeah, I think uh, 
I think I feel definitely stronger about this one than you do. I again, I can definitely see it's it's glaring errors, but uh, I love it. I love this fucking weird ass movie. <laughs> okay, we're ready to go on to our museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out into the film jungle like Indy and bring something back. And I don't even know what wing this would go into because uh, I wouldn't put it into the Robin Williams wing. I'm. This is just going to go into our like visual toy, uh, no, visual playground wing. Yes, absolutely. So I'll let you go first because you're a little bit more positive on the film. What you got? I mean, I love all of the big sets and the visuals and sort of some of the the crazy landscapes and things they come up with for this movie. But I have one that is absolutely my favorite. I've mentioned it a couple of times already, but like the pop out house was so fucking cool and I don't know how they did it and it looks amazing. Uh, but basically like a car comes by, pulls a string and when they pull the string, this flat thing opens up and it becomes like a whole like house mansion environment and it's all done you know somewhat practically or with matte paintings or however but it looks so cool and i'm like addicted to that image yeah that was really good there's a lot of stuff in this where i just looked at it i'm like i don't know how you did that or at least i don't know how you did it practically where it works that well Mm. they pull off a lot of weird shit like that (laughs) uh mine is like a, a uh you know a costume General Zevo goes from like three star general with his normal, you know, uniforms on and everything like that. But then at one point he shifts where he is wearing this like tie dye general suit thing. I I don't know what I just love it and I want to own it. Yeah, it's pretty fucking amazing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like a uh, tie dye camouflage or something yeah, like that. But neon colored tie dye uh, camouflage. It's like when he's becoming kind of like he's like goes from what am I doing here to like, oh, I can use this. So he's like in the toy world now. So because he's in the toy world now, he wears this over the top camouflage outfit. And yeah, it is pretty fucking fantastic. And did you notice he made himself a four elephant star general i did not notice that that's hilarious (laughs) the like star pieces on it are the elephant that like zevo i guess it's just like the main toy that they make is most popular was that elephant and because like even his uh i don't even know what you call it because it's not where he's buried he has an elephant over him yeah his i guess gravestone or his grave yeah i know it's like it's not a grave I guess marker. I don't know. It's like a, I don't know. It's wacky. It's a wacky film, but he's got, (laughs) he's got the four, the four elephants on there. And I'm like, he finally became his own four star general. (laughs) That's hilarious. I didn't even catch that. That's great. (laughs) So I love that. Uh, Just look that costume up. I'm sure you can find it. Yeah. Love it. Or just watch the film. And if you can find it somewhere purchasable, get it for Steve. He wants to wear it. I should contact someone who knows how to make stuff. And I was like, can you do that? (laughs) because <laughs> i know we can't get like the elephant pins we'd have to somehow make them but someone could measure me and get me that camo hell yeah we gotta do this we gotta do this <laughs> it's just amazing <laughs> uh that'll end it this week and happy holidays merry christmas whatever you celebrate it's been a rough year 
Uh, and a lot of you won't be able to spend it with family, but hopefully you can, you know, FaceTime or whatever you do. Zoom, a lot of things. It's been a rough one, but uh, at least at least Analog Jones has been here to uh, corrupt your minds. Yeah, at least we'll still have plastic for you to chew on. <laughs> Always. Uh, yeah, even more so, I think, important than... Uh, Christmas this year is uh, New Year's because we get to start again. <laughs> we get to start a new year. Uh, so en- enjoy as much as you can uh, this fresh restart we get. And hopefully things do start getting better in this next year. And 2021 is a whole new chapter away from very far away from 2020. <laughs> the dumpster fire 2021 should just like its icon should be a fire extinguisher. Yes. Just putting out the dumpster fire of 2020. Hopefully, <laughs> you know, oh, man, just what a what a year. And we're going to take a small break and come back in January because we need a rest. Yeah, uh, we can't be putting out episodes on Christmas and New Year's. We just need to sleep and <laughs> reflect <laughs> actually watch films that we miss throughout the year so we can actually have a I don't know if we're going to call it best 2020, but it's going to be the mediocre films that we actually got to see in 2020. <laughs> I don't know. A, a list of mentions, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't Because like, I'm just so lost in what came out this year, what was supposed to come out, and then got tanked, and then kind of got dropped in streaming, but it cost a fortune. We're looking at you, Mulan. Yeah, I, I have no interest ever watching that film for $20. I won't I probably won't even watch that film for free. It is free now. If you have the Disney Plus, it is over the paywall now. Then I yesterday. can guarantee you I won't watch it for free. <laughs> I have no interest in it. Uh, I heard it's just basically like Disney China. Yeah, I'm good. I wasn't even like the world's biggest fan of the original. I like it, but I'm not like Jones in for a live action remake, especially too with how much most of Disney's live action remakes are just carbon copies too of like the not my favorite parts either <laughs> they're gonna cut the songs and dragon out of mulan what do i need to watch it for i <laughs> know <laughs> that's right when i heard like, the dragon's not in it i don't give a shit yeah and like at all i would rather watch in and, and this is no offense to tim burton and everything i would rather watch dumbo which i have zero interest in so i have one percent interest in dumbo i have zero percent interest in mulan <laughs> Oh, uh, I love Dumbo, by the way. I but I love do. Tim Burton. So. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> I'm just like comparing it, you know. Like, yeah, for I, sure. You had much more of an option. To, you know, you had much more of a chance of me watching Jungle Book, which I've never finished. I've watched fragments of it. I fell asleep and said, you know what? I don't care. I've seen yeah. Jungle Book. I don't care. I don't need to see a CG. It's not even live action. It's just a different version of animation. What do I need to see another animation of it? (laughs) And I haven't seen one frame of Lion King. Yeah, I haven't either, which I'm because I saw Jungle Book and was like, nope, this ain't for me. So but I did watch Aladdin. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm watching that. It's Will Smith, baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You love Big Willie. Yeah. And it's not as bad as the Internet made it sound. It's not great. It's just right there in the middle of like. So why did you make this film? Because it's not better than the original. It's not really that different. What was the point other than <laughs> money? Yeah, at least the at least the Tim Burton ones are different. You know, they're that's they're why not I have shot a one percent interest. <laughs> <laughs> they're not shot for shot remakes like Beauty and the Beast and Jungle Book. Oh my God, Beauty and the Beast! I forgot about. 
Yeah, because and I've it's seen the it. same thing. Because it's the same as the original. <laughs> What's the point? Money. That's it. Money, money, money. If they would just come out and be like, well, listen, you know, everything costs a lot of money here, so we got to make a lot of money. I would immediately have respect for them. And I go, well, at least you admit it. Now, you know, start up that uh, that assembly line. Let's churn out some other crap that I won't watch. Because yeah, I'll respect right. you saying that you need to make a shit ton of money off easy franchises. What I won't respect is like, we're bringing the new generation. A look at the <laughs> old generation's classics. And I'm like, I don't give it. Fuck off. Merry Christmas and fuck off. <laughs> uh, stay classy, Analog Jones. Always. Stay classy. Always. <laughs> anyway, I hope everyone's holidays go great. I hope January and February is not... F- we'll be back then, but I hope it's not a nightmare like... What was it, two years ago when it was like negative 40? Yeah, I don't know Chicago. what this is going to... I don't know what this is going to bring. That on top of everything else might be... Uh, a bit much. I'm already having a hard time dealing with the fact that it gets dark at 4 p.m. every day. <laughs> I know when we so I get off of work and by that, I mean, I walk out of my back room um, and then I look to walk the dogs and I'm like, oh, great. It's like 9 p.m. And I get so confused on the time and I might cut all this. But anyway, I, I this is mostly just Matt and I talking. I get so <laughs> confused. Like last night I was like, oh, man, I'm getting pretty tired. What is it like 10 o'clock? I looked at the clock and this is no joke, people. It was 730. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I, 80? What is wrong with me? No, it's the oh, it's this fucking time. It's just dark. I just I don't I know it gets darker in winter. It just feels like every year, though, it just gets darker earlier and earlier and earlier. And we're only at the beginning of December, so it's going to start getting darker even earlier. And I'm like, is it going to be dark at like fucking 2 p.m. now? (laughs) (laughs) What if I decide to sleep until noon? I'll have nothing. The day will end. It's over (laughs) right when I wake up. And that, my friends, is usually when I do start my day, and I do only have like two hours of daylight. <laughs> so you're you're a vampire. I am a vampire. Yes, that is my my vampire coming out. I am absolutely a vampire these days. <laughs> well, I can give you an orange fellow you can suck the blood out of. Hey, oh, the last Trump joke of the year. Got it in. Oh, yucky. I don't want that. It probably tastes like McDonald's and farts. I'm good. <laughs> I like the McDonald's fart. You know, the McDonald's part didn't sound so bad. But when you introduce the farts, yeah, I guess you could find someone else to kill. I mean, suck the blood out of, not kill, because we'd never recommend that. Well, we don't do that here. <laughs> no, uh, but, but actually, you might make him live longer. So definitely don't bite Definitely him. don't do that. We definitely don't want that. All right, we don't want to advocate killing, but we don't want to advocate living when it comes to that asshole either. <laughs> We're living on a weird bridge here. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening to us all year. And like, I don't even know. Is this year four? I don't even remember. Yeah, we've been doing this for a while now. I know. Uh, that's why we need a break, because I don't think we've had a break in like. 50 something weeks we just keep churning them out we're we're vhs uh anteaters here we're just sucking them up (laughs) (laughs) occasionally we get a fire ant yeah yeah it's uh, a spicy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I bet there was several of those in 2020, but I can't remember because there was 50 of them. <laughs> I know. All right. That'll end it this week. That'll end it for 2020. So come back next year. 
And remember to be kind. And rewind. 